Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for not just the words of theology that sits on a shelf, but that is uh, applied to our hearts by your Holy Spirit and was um, carried out in real space and time by our Savior, that witness from heaven who came down to do exactly and to say exactly what you wanted him to do and to say. We thank you that this is your Heavenly Father, this is your doing. We acknowledge that this morning, that we're not here because we're just smarter than other people or lucky uh, or, or just uh, morally better people. Uh, we are just very ordinary sinners who have been recast in the identity of Christ uh, at great expense to you. And we thank you so much that you've done this, are doing it, and will finish it. I pray that you would cleanse our hearts from sin and things that distractions are in any way. And uh, I pray that what we talk about is not my opinion or just uh, feel-good messages, but that it is um, faithful uh, exposure of your word by your Holy Spirit. Apply it to our hearts today. Pray for our brother Kyle as well as he comes that you would uh, open the word to us through him as well and that also tonight as we we gather uh, around Mark again and um, continue our journey through that and just in all these things uh, that we would grow together in the measure of fullness of the statue of Christ and pray this in his name for his glory. John Chapter 13, maybe we'll actually get in the text today. <laughs> this is what our fourth session of, of sort of set up here. Um, but uh, it, it's such an important topic, um, this issue of apostasy uh, that we've been talking about. And, and remember, there's a lot to say. There's a lot written on your notes there in the first section about apostasy, what it means, uh, generally, you know, what meant in the Greek, uh, uh, common Greek usage, and then how it was applied in, in um, well, the Jews would apply it in the Septuagint, that is their Greek translation of, of their scriptures, right, what we call the Old Testament, uh, they applied it as, you know, unfaithfulness to Yahweh, so it was particularly a Jew, a Jewish person who was raised as a Jew, but then later walked after false gods or things like that, okay? And in the New Testament church, it came to mean someone who had at one time professed faith in Christ, but now has left that, right? That's sort of a broad meaning. So the thing that we've been trying to stress, though, in talking about apostasy is that the New Testament is full of warnings about the most dangerous form of apostasy. Okay, so if, if like me, you know, you sort of had this cursory view of apostasy as somebody that named Christ at one time and has left church and now a start breaker and an atheist or something, or, you know, gone off in the New Age or whatever, some other, you know, follows uh, Muhammad now, you know, whatever. Um, if that's your view of apostasy, let me expand that a little bit to include people who have apostatized but are still in the church. So the way I like to, to phrase it is they have left the faith, but they're in the church. That's the most dangerous form, and that's the one 
that we spent some time looking at, uh, particularly, again, lots of places in the New Testament we can go to look at, but one of the clearest and most um, impactful uh, places where that is laid out for us is by Jesus in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where he warns about the internal apostasy first, right? You know, make sure you're on the narrow way, that you're not with the many on the broad way. And then right after that, he says, watch out for those false prophets who come to you as sheep in, in, in their wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, they are they are a danger picking up on, on all that Old Testament imagery of those prophets, particularly Ezekiel 34, right? Those those, those shepherds of Israel who were really, rather than protecting the flock from an external predator, were themselves the predator, right? And Jesus is saying, watch out for those false teachers, that external apostasy, in the, still within the confines of professing church, okay? Watch out for those teachers who come to you with the business card saying, I'll protect you, but they are, in fact, a danger to you, okay? And then he sums it up by saying, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy, cast out demons and all that? And, and, and the primary example of that is who? Judas, right? Judas is the primary example. He did all those things. He healed, he cast out demons, he, pro he proclaimed uh, the, the good news of the kingdom. He was part of the multiple commissions by the Lord of, at times the 12, at other times more than that, 70, 72, depending on the number that you have in your translation. Um, but multiple sending out of his disciples, right? And Judas was, he wasn't the one guy who couldn't quite do the healings, right? That We don't get any indication of, of that in the text. And he was able to do all of those things right along with everybody else, and yet in the end, it's revealed that he is an apostate. He's an apostate. So the warning, and we're going to see this actually show up. Another very graphic text of it is is in the beginning of chapter fifteen, where Jesus talks about that there are branches in me that don't bear fruit, that are going to be cut off. They wither. There's a there's a process there. They're first cut off. Then they wither, and then ultimately they are cast into the fire. Okay, they're ultimately judged by God, and so, but there are other branches that bear fruit, right? And uh, so, so even though we have different gifts of the Holy Spirit, watch this now. That look, it just struck me this past week. Wow, I heard this in different messages. Like, this is really good. Can't use it. <laughs> you know, we all have different giftings by the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit should be the same for every single believer, right? He is working to conform us to the prototype of the new man, that is Christ, right? We're, we're to look like him, and that's the same character that we are all, that's the same fruit that we're all supposed to bear. So in, in chapter 15, we'll revisit this uh, at, you know, a little bit more in length, because again, it casts back to chapter 6, where many of his disciples left. They were the branches that were being cut off by the Father through the Word of God. All right, so I know that's a jet door. There was a lot we've covered in the last three sessions, but that's where we've been. And so we need to, we're looking now at the second section, and I think we've made our way about halfway through it, the apostle of apostasy, right? So we've talked about apostasy in general, 
And the warning again is is not just apostates, you know, out there, some atheists or something, but apostasy in the church itself. That's where we really have to be aware of it in our own hearts, as well as others who have apostatized, left the faith, but are still in the church. Maybe don't even know it. In fact, in Matthew seven, those people are very shocked and surprised to hear me. You never knew me, right? Wow, what a scary thing. So having said all that, the apostle of apostasy, sort of that model of apostasy is Judas, sort of a, a model warning to us. Part of the 12, remember, Jesus had many more disciples. Even after chapter 6, where a whole bunch of them left, there were still many more, even enough to be able to send 70 out at some times. And, and remember in Acts uh, when they when they voted to 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 uh, replace uh, Judas with Matthias, that there were at least two men, probably out of a, a greater pool even, that they put forward right for consideration. So there's there's quite a few other disciples there, and and uh, but but Judas is sort of pulled up from that pool of disciples into that elite twelve, and even in that elite twelve, these old apostles, serious issue. Very serious issue. Yes. Could that be uh, an individual or actually could that be a group? What I'm referring to is like the Pharisees. Were they apostates? Originally, they, they started out as a good group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could that could that be a could that be a group or is that individual? And I don't know. That's a really great question. Uh, well, the Pharisees were not Christians, though. Well, at this point, there were no Christians. Yeah. In the sense we think of. But there were yeah. believers, yeah. 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 Um, and you're right, Larry, that they, they had a very noble origin. And, and you might even, had you been alive at that time, you might have been, if not in joining them, at least you found yourself in agreement with their mission statement. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, um, but as but as a, I I would I would say that while there probably were Pharisees men, keep in mind that they they were started about roughly four hundred years before John the Baptist appears, right? Mm -hmm. So over that you know those four centuries, there could very well and probably were a number of what we would call regenerated people that that God has called they called to himself but as a group uh they there's no doubt that they drifted away from from the weightier matters of the law as Christ said right you tied you meant the human and all that but you you've abandoned the weightier matters so so he also rebuked them for uh traveling over land or sea to convert one to yourself you know one proselyte that is one Gentile to to Judaism, but then you make him twice the son of hell as you are. So so the, they go to all this effort, and then you know make sure that person is firmly planted on the broad road. You know, so maybe maybe it's fair to say when when a group sort of reaches a critical mass where there's enough internal apostasy, you could say that the group or the church or denomination as a whole. I mean, arguments like, um, you know, are there are, are are there Roman Catholics that are genuinely genuinely converted? 
Um, maybe there probably are some individuals. I, I know one guy that we go to Bible study with who's, as far as I can tell, really solid. He's got a lot of, you know, and I'm like, you know, the Catholic Church does plenty of people. I don't say that always, Alan. But that makes sense. So, there, so we do have to be on our guard for churches, denominations, individual churches, or groups of churches, or uh, uh, Bible studies, or, you know. It, it seems in as you're just as you're defining apostasy, that I don't know if the Pharisees were qualified because they thought they were always adhering to the law, and they equated their own traditions and their amendment laws with the law. So, if anything, I think they would think Jesus was the apostle. <laughs> Where, but but their goal was not to pull away from the faith. They thought they were pulling people to the faith, whereas Judas, his goal was to pull away. For myself, basically. So I missed the Jesus. Right. They missed the Jesus part. So I don't know. It's just interesting. It's an interesting uh, question. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, when you're talking about people in the church who have left the faith, you're referring to people who never were true believers. Is that correct? Okay. And and, and I, by that I, I don't mean to say that they that they come in and, and they still come to church. And and say, well, I wish you all know I'm now officially an atheist, but I'm still coming because I like the hint. Yeah, <laughs> I like to show you, but I'll say that. I mean, there really aren't too many of those around. Even though we say we're welcome, you know, anybody and everybody into our fellowship, I don't. I look around, I don't see too many <laughs> that kind of like, here or other. Here. But yes, so I think I think the danger again is. Going back to what Jesus said is, you know, before he started talking about false prophets, he says, yourself, be sure you are on the narrow path, because there's many who will be on the broad way, right? And then he talks about false teachers. Well, that, what he says in verses 13 and 14, would apply to those false teachers as well, right? That they, that they themselves need to be examining themselves first to be sure that they are genuine. So I'm not just, this is not to say that you got people sneaking around and really left the faith, but who I'm, I'm out here to try to see people. No, they themselves are deceived, right? And that that's how that whole passage in 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 in, in Matthew seven ends up with those people who are on the broad path, standing before Jesus, and they claim Him as Lord, and they're like, "Didn't we do all this?" And they're shocked, right? Because they are self-deceived. The preacher you knows sometimes you'll see in the world that you'll have people that. That when you do make your stand, they know you're believers, and then you hear them. I work in my, I work in a manufacturing happening for thirty some years, so that's some of the roughest talking people you ever come across. <laughs> and so some of these people are just like, you know, oh. and then when they get around you, it's like they're straight and narrow. Yeah. And then it's like, because like when I had my little my cancer, this one girl came to me and just reminds me of that because she's like, yeah, yeah, and she said, I'm gonna pray for you, and I'm like, first in the heart, I'm like. Don't bother. <laughs> your prayers are not going to be heard because you just you're not a believer. And and yeah. but yeah, so they they put this facade up that hey, look, I'm, I am and I go to church. They may go to church. Oh, maybe on Sun on the Easter and maybe on Christmas. But then that that's their little check card, you know. But it's the, the world's full of that. Yeah, and they'll often find a church that accommodates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, that's that's broad enough to accommodate their their little. Jesus and sort of their definition. 
Yeah. One of the things that Paul said that I think about a lot when we're talking about apostasy is he said to the the Ephesian elders is that there will be men among you who will rise up and they will draw people unto themselves. They will start these little movements and they will start these things, but they're gathering people around and they're more interested in that than anything else. Despite that warning, <clears throat> Jesus came later and wrote that church a letter. And he, with eyes of fire, said, yeah, you were very faithful to, to be sure that you were steadfast for the true doctrine that you left your first letter. Wow. That is dangerous. Wow. So, really Lord, is. man, I'll tell you, this is a, this is a sobering, sobering yeah. topic. It really yeah. is. When you really start to examine all of those, you know, um, seven of Five of those seven churches, the Lord has something against them. Think of that, five to seven. So, oh, what are you telling them to do? Repent, repent. Remember, repent. Yeah. Repent. Well, let's uh, let's keep moving. I'm really trying to make sure I end on time for Kyle here this morning. I'll go an hour. Not that I don't want to. Charles Hall, you start. Uh, I'm the teacher. I should wrap it up. Right? Uh, so, so we got through. So let's let's just read. Let's start again the section that we finished last time. I won't comment too much on the first two paragraphs. Uh, this next section is the Apostle of Apostasy. We've looked at the term apostasy and its dangers, but what does the term apostle mean? Sounds very similar in the English, right? It's different, very different word. The Greek term is apostolos and is another transliterated word. In common usage, the word most often appeared in a verb form and, and referred to an emissary. It carried the idea of an ambassador representing the interests of the one who commissioned him. An apostle then was one who was sent on a mission to deliver a message, okay, uh, a commission. In New Testament usage, while it is true that all believers are apostles commissioned by Christ, parenthetical note, who was himself the what? First and greatest apostle. Remember, we I asked that question very, very start of all this. How many apostles were there? A little bit of a tricky question because we often leave Christ out. We we forget that he's you might say the first and first apostle. But he absolutely is called that in Hebrews, uh, and, and absolutely right. He fits that definition. Uh, and not just a little one. He's a big A apostle, the big A apostle, right? All right, so Christ who himself is the first and greatest apostle, according to Hebrews uh, 3 1. Uh, this is our second paragraph on the notes. Okay. Um, to deliver the truth of God to the world, there is a distinction drawn between the office of an apostle. Now, notice I capitalized that there, and others who, though functioning in the role of little a apostle, do not carry the authority of the original apostles who are commissioned directly by Jesus himself or who have been with him throughout his ministry and have been a witness of his resurrection. Acts 1, 21 through 26 is, is an example of the latter where Matthias is chosen to replace Judas, right? Now, Jesus didn't directly choose Matthias there, but Judas apostatized. He vacated his office. And so um, under the authority vested in the apostles by Jesus, they, you know, with the gag, with the uh, help of the Holy Spirit through what they, what they, they used lots, they drew lots to do it. Okay? Um, but anyway, he was one who was there 
This is the critical thing. He had been with the Lord faithfully through most of his ministry and then had also been a witness of him after the resurrection. Okay. This was part of the criteria. What I'm trying to get to is that this is part of the criteria for the capital A apostle. The specific role of apostle in the founding and foundation of the church. Let's continue. There are specific miraculous signs given to these men that continued the witness of the Father that this message was indeed from him. And that's 2 Corinthians 12, 12, where Paul says the, the, the signs of an apostle will work among you, right? So three major criteria according to the scriptures to be a capital A apostle. And, and not, every, not everybody who did that necessarily was, but this is you had to meet this minimal, right? Minimum when we write job descriptions, you know, to, to fill a position of work, have a general description of the thing. And then we have two sections. We have required skills. You don't meet this, these basic skills, don't call us, right? And then we have preferred skills, right? So so on the the, the job description of capital A apostle, here's these three, okay. Had to have seen the Lord in the flesh, right, during his ministry and after his resurrection. That's the second thing. And then thirdly, also work the signs of an apostle. So be given these miraculous signs. Okay. Uh, healing on demand and so forth. Um, they were uh, specific miraculous signs given to them. That's 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Of most importance, these Men were the means through which God chose to reveal his plan of salvation and eternal life for all people who put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, when we get there in the high priestly prayer, Jesus is going to make that very, very clear. He's going to talk to them before that about this, that the whole, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring to mind everything that I've taught you, right? And why does he do that? Well, because he's getting ready to go. He's going to leave. He won't be here physically to write the New Testament. So he leaves them with the Holy Spirit to do exactly that. To, to carry, as it were, carry his ministry on in his stead. And so they lay the foundation. They're the ones through whom uh, the, the, they and their associates, right, uh, who wrote the New Testament. They laid the foundation of truth. That Jesus Christ is about Jesus Christ that is no longer being added to. Critical, critical point. Lots of people since then um, have come along and said, oh no, we have this other book over here or the writings of this individual. Uh, we In the Fletcher area, there's a heavy presence of Seventh-day Adventism. Uh, I would consider them, after some careful consideration, I would consider them to be a cult. Because they put the, I forget her name, but there's the writings of her, their founder that they put on par with scripture. That's a dangerous place to be. You don't have the right to do that. Sorry. No, not sorry. <laughs> they laid the foundation of truth. Okay, so therefore, and here's the critical, here's the punchline. We do not recognize anyone alive today as a capital A apostle in this foundational sense. And there are churches that do that, right? They they use the term apostle. We don't do that. Because even though we are all little a apostles in the sense that we are ambassadors for Christ, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are commissioned by him uh, 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 to carry this message in, in a similar way. We are not big a apostles. We're not in that official role 
of founding the church and, and, and with that kind of authority, be able to say, this is some new revelation from God the Father through the Holy Spirit and give you. All right, so let's pick up third paragraph then on our on our section here of the Apostle of Apostasy. With that background, we come now to Judas Iscariot. He was included among the 12 in the three synoptic gospel lists, and I, and I list them out there for you. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't do that, by the way. He doesn't have that list anywhere, probably because it's already repeated three times by the other gospels, right? This means that Jesus specifically called him out to the elevated position of being among the 12. Yet this man is always noted as the one who betrayed Jesus. In all those lists, he's the one in retrospect, of course. At the time, they didn't know it, but in retrospect, when the Gospels were written later, they qualify him that way. There were many disciples of Jesus who apostatized. John 6, 66, right? Okay. But he was the lone apostle, capital A apostle, who apostatized. After his suicide, his apostolic office was filled by Matthias, again, another reference to Acts 1, 16 to 26, at the bidding of Peter. This there is much debate as to whether this he was this was jumping the gun and the Holy Spirit wanted Paul to be that apostle, but this is outside the scope of what we're looking at here. The problem for us is, why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot to be one of the twelve? Okay. Last paragraph. It is beyond question that Jesus knew what Jesus was, what Judas was going to do. John himself has made that clear. Okay, so uh, remember. Uh, Maybe we can turn there real quick. 671, chapter, John chapter 6, verse 71. Remember that, uh, remember the scene here, right? Jesus has uh, fed the 5,000 plus 15 some odd thousand the day before. That was a Friday evening. Saturday, they come eagerly looking for him. They find him. They're very excited because they want another meal. And they get into this whole thing, and he begins to say, I am the bread from heaven. You know, Moses may have fed the nation, but God is feeding the world now through me. And they start getting offended, and the more he talks, right? And then finally, he ends up saying, bless you, eat my flesh, and drink my blood. If you have no life in you, this is a hard word. I'm out of here, right? And verse 66 says that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So as many of these branches unfruitful branches are being cut off by the Heavenly Father through the words of Jesus. See how that works? Okay, The word of God through the lips of Jesus beginning to cut off these unfruitful branches. Jesus turns to his other disciples. You know, he would think that he didn't, he, he must have failed his, his modern church growth seminary <laughs> course because he didn't run after them and say, oh, wait, 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 strike up the band here, let's just, you know, Let's do something to keep these people. He just lets them go. In fact, to make it worse, he turns to his own disciples and he says, are you guys going to check out? Are you leaving? And Peter makes that great statement, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have what? The great, the fantastic music. Oh, 
uh, you have a, a wonderful sanctuary. Now, what, 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 was, what is Peter's concern here? The words of eternal life. See that, right? The so, the, so the same words that were offensive to the to the unfruitful branches are pruning the fruitful ones, right? What you say? I'm just saying that the, the wording there, to whom shall we go, gives emphasis to the fact that they are very seriously interested in the person. It's not just some kind of movement, but it has to send you around the person of Jesus. And, and notice that they, they don't say, well, to whom will we go? Because who else is going to feed us? Right. Right? They'll say, where should we go? Where should we go? Right. But but yeah, that's a great point. They they were they were interested in him and his words. So critical, right? That's a sign of a saved person. I mean, the, the, only only saved people know and love and, 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 and accord with the word of God. All right. So the words of eternal life, and we have Verse 69, and we have believed and have come to know that, that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus uh, answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? What's he say next? One Yet one of you is a devil. Okay, so that's, that's back to our notes now. And also verse, uh, we're going to see that here in our text as well. He, he, the point is, Jesus knows in advance. That Judas is going to do what he's going to do, right? We know that. So let's get back to our notes. So Jesus has, himself has made this clear, or John himself has made this clear that Jesus knew this. Instead, we are left with the inescapable conclusion that Judas had a role to play in God's plan of redemption. What? He would be the trigger that Jesus would pull during his upper room discourse that would spark the firing of the events that culminated in Jesus going to the cross. Imagine you got a gun, it's all loaded, ready to go, it's got it's got great you know, quality bullets in there, everything ready, but you don't have a trigger. <laughs> all the parts are there, just gotta have that trigger, right? Remember that the Jewish leaders themselves didn't want to do this thing with Jesus until after the Passover. See, we always think that they're like on the top of the red heads. No, no, no. They, they didn't want to do it because Matthew tells they're because of the fear of the crowds. But they also had their own personal, you know, they're busy. I mean, this is like, you know, Christmas. I mean, your family's in town and you got all the stuff going on. People are cool with this right now. <laughs> but Judas became. An important part, I think it's very important that we understand Jesus is the one who pulls that trigger. He's the one who dismisses Judas and tells him, go, what you're about to do, go do it quickly. They weren't ready to do it. He kind of, as it were, caught them off guard to, to push up their timeline. So in that sense, Judas plays an important part in God's plan of redemption. Far from catching God by surprise, Judas instead represents for us the archetype of apostasy. Here is a person who, by all rights, now listen to this, or read this, let this sink in, should never have abandoned the faith. Right? When you have a situation where you've been pouring into somebody for a long time, Yourself, the 
gospel. You try to serve them in the name of the Lord, both with what you say, with what you do. And they were, they accorded with you, you know, uh, for whether that's your own children or whether you've taught a Sunday school class or a BBS, you know, and you've poured into people for a while and they turn away from the faith, just remember Judas. Jesus himself, the Son of God in flesh, taught for years, and Judas heard all of that. And a lot of what we don't know that's not written. He himself performed signs and all of the outward manifestations of being one of, not just any disciple, but part of 12. And he still lost us. So, if that can happen under Jesus' ministry, don't be surprised when it happens under yours. Okay? I take comfort in that person. Because it's not up to me to save people. It's not up to you. It's up to who? Jesus. God the Father, specifically. No one can come to me, again, chapter 6, right? Unless what? God draws And all who the Father has given me will come to me. All. You believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 I, you know, I didn't do something right. Did Jesus failed with Judas? It's part of God's plan. Um, so he personally saw here, so let me read that again here is a person who by all rights should never have abandoned the faith he personally saw and walked with the Lord during his ministry he was commissioned along with other disciples by Jesus on numerous occasions to preach the gospel and even to perform miraculous signs his ears were blessed to hear the greatest prophet of God the world has ever seen and yet he betrayed him for the sound of a few coins in his purse he stands as a sober reminder that unbelief in jesus is not an intellectual problem it is a heart problem judas never had the new heart promised by god in the new covenant in ezekiel 36 25 through 27 Probably Jesus is plan to show that. I think so. Yeah, because we see that today. I mean, if he would not have had that example, then we would have maybe come up to the conclusion. But even though he he had the luxury of being able to walk with the Savior, and Jesus gave him all these things he could do, still he turned his back on him. And I think that was a big opening eyes for his apostles and disciples to show them it's the heart. If your heart is not right, then it's not right. And so, and that gives us a good reminder, as you said, that we don't know the heart. Only Jesus and God knows the heart. We don't know how to change that heart. All we can do is be a testimony, be a, help them, pray for them, and it's his job to do the heart change. That's exactly right. And if it would have been the Father's will, just Jesus scared heart would have been changed. It was not his will. Also remember that uh, Judas in his life 
was convinced that he was the, the, the disciples. They trusted him with the money. They uh, thought he was uh, one of them. There was nothing that really, you know, you think curious about Jesus. The, I guess the one big thing is when the money was or the oil was Jesus was anointed. The Judas popped up and talked about the waste. How can you waste something with the head of Jesus? Well, it, it also, Matthew Mark let us know that the other there were other disciples that agreed with it. John says it was Judas who was the most vocal, but there are some of the others were they bear a little guilt too, yes. Right. That's a lot of money. Which means that they were that they were yeah. they had confidence in him. Yeah, but throughout the gospel, Jesus it makes Jesus knew he was the one. That he and you don't, and you don't, you know, and in contrast between him and Peter, there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Peter didn't betray the Lord with a kiss and join with his enemies to conspire against him. But when push came to shove, he was, and he didn't just when it says that he began to curse by the third time. It doesn't mean he began to use barnyard words like my co-worker says. But he began, it was worse than that, because he began to 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 engage in a practice that Jews would do where they really wanted to convince you strength of, of the truthfulness of what they're saying by saying, effectively saying, may God damn me forever if what I'm telling you is not true. I do not know this man. That's what Peter did. Falling down the judgment of God. It's if I'm lying. That's scary. Thank you. Yeah. God's mercy. Amen. Yeah. Exactly yeah. that. Uh, exactly Stand right. Stand up there. and preach that one, brother. That's right. Because here's the thing. We are all in danger. We are. We really are. And so again, come back to that warning again. Check yourself. Are you really saved? Are you, are you fooling yourself? That's the danger of fooling yourself. Call out to God, ask Him for mercy, and, and then and then also in your own ministry, don't you know? Don't don't. I mean, you do the best you can, right? But you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be times when we're trying to work with this young lady that you know, Lacey, who prayed to see the Lord what some weeks ago now. Um, really hard to get her attention try to work with her and disciple her. But this is really where we're, we're going next with her is you know, are you really saying are you dead? So a lot of people are seeing. Probably good places to stop going. Actually early. It's pretty nice. Explosion yeah. <laughs> prayer. I think the worst words in 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 this in the scriptures, Heavenly Father, are those words that Jesus warns us about in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven, where He will say to those who are absolutely convinced that they're that they are regenerated, He will say, "I never knew you. Depart from me." We, I pray, nobody here in this church or in this room would have to hear those words or just report it 
if it, if when it goes out, it's such a sober, sober, scary thing. One thing uh -huh. to reject Christ and you know it, and you're living for your for life for yourself and hedonism. And uh, eat, drink, and be married tomorrow we die, and give God a finger to live life on my terms rather than his. It's one thing to know that, you know, and okay, well, at least I wasn't deceived in that regard. But it's, it's the worst thing is to be in the church but have abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ. To, to not really know you, to not have a heart that is regenerated, to be like a Judas who in the end. Showed his true colors. But we thank you, Father, for because we have at the critical moments have also abandoned uh, a witness, a clear witness for Christ. Sometimes we we were vocal about it, other times we didn't speak up. Many times it's how I think our own little mini Peter experiences are when we don't say what we need to say in the moment because we're because of the fear of man. We're afraid of what people are going to think. <clears throat> Forgive us for those times. Thank you that you have us through the same God of mercy. And it is, as you as you tell your apostles in the supper room, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear much fruit. And so we thank you for your choice, your sovereignty, your protect. We're going to sing about that in the upcoming service. In the honor of Christ through me, that you hold on to us and you, you keep us uh, and you see to it that the work you began in us will be carried on into completion. That is your doing, and we give you the glory. But help us in the meantime to, to cooperate with that and to be uh, to, to be faithful in those times when we do kind of we do back down and we're, we're scared, timid, intimidated, perhaps. Or help us to help that to be less and less. And to to grow more and more in boldness, even as Peter did uh, after he was restored, and later as a as a much older man, a seasoned apostle, he is unafraid, not ashamed to stand up to the leaders of Israel, to be thrown into prison, and ultimately to be crucified for the sake of the gospel. So help us to grow in in that um, strength in our faith uh, for your glory. Under your grace that you provide. In Jesus' name.